Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Go to the Gospel of Luke. If you need a Bible, there are some at the Connect table. And um, uh, just again, want to—if you don't know me, my name is James. I'm the pastor here, and just grateful to be together this morning, and grateful to open God's Word together this morning. So, um, how many of you grew up with uh, brothers and/or sisters? Anybody? Just show of hands. Okay, good. Um, so, okay, I did too. Um, how many had um, like? The pretty normal, like the fights and arguments over like, hey, that is mine. You can't use that. Give it back. Like, I, that's mine. You can't use it, right? So I definitely did. I have two younger brothers. I'm the oldest. So firstborns, raise your hand. Any firstborns? Okay, just so you know, firstborns, good job. I acknowledge right now that you are responsible. You raised your hand when you were supposed to. This is what firstborns do, right? We're, we're, we're good at this. You did it correctly. So gold star, good job for the, let's hear it, for the, the, the firstborn children, right? Um, so no, <laughs> anyways, but for me growing up, my middle brother, who's four years younger than me, um, would always use my stuff, right? He would take my CDs, you know, like the huge binder of CDs that everyone had. Like, he would take them and he'd use them and they would, he would always scratch them at some point or another, right? So he'd take my CDs, he would like, he'd say, hey, can I use your guitar? And I'd be like, Fine, and he'd use my guitar and he'd bring it back and there'd be like a chunk of paint missing from the guitar and you know whatever I didn't do that right um, so but he would always use and he would like be like hey can I borrow that shirt or whatever it's like and I, and I hated it at the time this is like you know teenage James I hated it right anybody else know what I'm talking about this this sharing of things right so here's here's the problem right our human nature doesn't want to share our stuff with others I mean that's pretty much just like um, across the board, right? We want to guard and protect what is ours. And so we're thinking this morning about the concept of hospitality. We're not naturally hospitable, right? We like people, like we want to be around people, but I don't think we're naturally, truly hospitable in the way that the Bible lays it out, right? We don't naturally want to give away our time, our money, our stuff, and our lives to other people. So this morning, we're going to look at the life of Jesus and see what it looks like to live a life of radical hospitality. That's the main idea this morning is this, that radical hospitality puts the gospel on display, Radical hospitality puts the gospel on display. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 um, as, we're, as you're kind of navigating there. Um, we're continuing our Life on Mission series. And in this series, we're looking at how as followers of Jesus, we are called to live on mission in our daily lives. It's easy to separate those things, to say, yeah, I follow Jesus, but then be like, well, I'm not really like... A missionary. I'm not like called to do this. And yet, when you read the story of Scripture, when Jesus invited his disciples, he said, Come follow me. And what did he say? I will make you fishers of men. So, this mission is not separated from giving our lives to Jesus. It's all one thing. When we follow Jesus, we live a life to say, I'm going to live on mission. So, that's kind of what this is about. Living a life on mission is just simply that following Jesus and seeking to live like he did. 
So this series is about how you and I, as the church, can live on mission by sharing the gospel with people around us. And in our culture, we can ask the question, and you might have the question to say, why is it okay for me to put my beliefs on someone else? Because in our world these days, that's like the ultimate thing you don't do. You just kind of acknowledge everyone else's beliefs. You don't put yours on someone else. But why would we say it's okay? Because it's seen as backwards in our world. Unless Jesus is the only way to God. Unless he is the way of salvation. And Graham, preaching last week, talked about this. That if we believe that Jesus is the only way to God. Side note, we do believe that, right? (laughs) If we believe it. Why would we not share this good news? So we can start with that question and say, okay, why is it okay for us as Christians to say, I want to tell you what I believe and I want you to believe it too. It's because it is. We believe it is the truth and Jesus is the way to God and it is good news to share. And we can complicate it. We can think that we don't know enough or that we, you know, we know more than enough and that we've got this gospel sharing thing figured out. We can think that you, know, you have to memorize a method or kind of practice your like spiritual sales pitch, but that's not it. Sharing the gospel is simply the natural overflow of the work of the gospel in our lives. And if we try to make it some system, if we try to make it all these things, and there's good things to learn, there's good tools and ways to communicate the gospel, but if it is not an overflow of our love for Jesus, then it's just us trying to do it on our own. And so my prayer throughout this series is that we would be so overwhelmed again and again with the work of Jesus in our lives that we cannot help but to speak what we've experienced in our own hearts the goodness of Jesus that just wells up and overflows because we say, I have this joy that has nothing to do with me. It is Christ in me, the hope of glory. So our scripture this morning presents a parable about recovering something that is lost. And the whole story here is prompted by the complaint of the religious leaders over Jesus' spending time with people who are considered outsiders. So under the surface of this story, we get a glimpse of the heart of Jesus towards people. So Luke chapter 15, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. So you can follow along in your Bible or you can follow along on the screen. Here's what it says. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, talking about Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Let's pray together again as we jump into this. God, we're thankful for your word, and we ask that you would um, help us understand what your word is speaking this morning, that your spirit would illuminate this, that you would um, show us, God, where we need to be encouraged or corrected or, uh, or what we need to learn 
and how we can put this into practice in following you. We thank you for the incredible grace of God towards us that you have given us your word. You have spoken through your word so that we can know and follow you. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so radical hospitality puts the gospel on display. Three things I want to see from our passage this morning, and they'll be on the screen. Jesus welcomes outsiders. Jesus models a new way of living, and Jesus rescues the lost. Let's look at our first point here. Jesus welcomes outsiders. The first verse of this scripture sets up the whole thing. The setting, the scenario here is Jesus is eating with what are referred to here in this passage as the sinners and tax collectors. Okay, who were these people, right? The sinners, these were the people that would have been considered the outsiders. Society defined them by their sin. They were seen as less than. They were seen as people to be avoided. They were seen as you don't want to be hanging out with those people. These were the sinners. The tax collectors, right? In this culture, the Jewish culture here, they were under the, uh, the, the authority of Rome and, and Roman rule, and these guys were considered sellouts. They, these were, the tax collectors were Jewish people working for the Romans, and so the Romans didn't really like them because they were Jewish, and they were just like making them work, and then the Jewish people didn't like them because they were working for the Romans, and so, um, and they would, they would offer, they would gather the Roman taxes and then kind of skim off the top. They would ask for more and take some for themselves, and so they were just like, you know, people make jokes about, you know, tax people now. It was to a different level here. These were like sneaky, greedy people, right? Um, and so while they were often wealthy people, they were viewed very, very poorly. And they were seen as, don't hang out with that guy. He's a tax collector, right? And you see this in the story of scripture. And so in, in verse one, we see that they are drawing near to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus welcomed them. He loved them and wanted he loved him and they wanted to be around him to hear him. And so it says to hear him, to hear his teachings, to hear what he had to say. They wanted to be in his presence. If you read the Gospels, this is just one instance because over and over we see Jesus eating and spending time with those who were the outsiders, the sinners. This was his regular practice. And what we see from this is that Jesus practiced radical hospitality. Now, by our standards, Jesus was not good at hospitality at all, right? Because more often than not, in our minds, hospitality means having someone for dinner, making sure the house is cleaned up, getting out the nice dishes, not the plastic ones. I just learned that while I was gone for a few days, Abby cleaned out our kitchen and got rid of some of my favorite plastic bowls without asking me, you know? So anyway, uh, so... Um, so you get out the nice dishes, not the plastic ones, right? And you have a nice meal around a table. And most of the time, side note, I was excited to preach this sermon. And then as I was preparing, I was like, I don't want to preach this anymore. So you'll see why. Uh, most of the time, we invite into our homes people that we like, people that are like us, people that we want to spend time with. Now, that's not a bad thing, right? It's, it's a good thing to share dinner with people. But it's only a small and incomplete picture of hospitality. So Jesus was not, by our standards, Jesus was not good at this. Why? Because Jesus wasn't a good host. Jesus did not invite people into his home. He didn't have a home, right? When you read the scriptures, he's going from place to place to place. And so if our standard of hospitality is, hey, come to my house, I'll cook you a meal, there's something missing. What did Jesus do differently? 
Because he, he didn't go shopping. He didn't prepare a nice meal, put some flowers or candles on the table, invite over some friends. But he practiced hospitality everywhere he went by welcoming outsiders in. There's a pastor in New York City named John Tyson, and he writes this. He says, the Greek word for hospitality is a compound, compound word combining a word meaning friend and a word meaning foreigner. So rather than having a, the, a fear of the other, hospitality is love for the other. Now, wherever you're from, whatever culture you're from, you could probably bring up in your mind the people that would be considered other, right? But hospitality is love for the other, for the stranger or for the foreigner. So true biblical hospitality is welcoming in both friend and stranger, people who are easy to invite in as well as those who might be considered outsiders. A pastor friend of mine here in Montreal, I was listening to one of his sermons one time, and he said that here in Montreal, what hospitality really should look like is the hipsters and the construction workers and the artists and the business people and the rich and the poor all welcoming each other, not considering the other one the other or the outsider. Jesus shows us here how he welcomed in the outsiders. He spent time with the tax collectors and the sinners. Second point, look at verse two. Jesus models a new way of living. So the way that Jesus did things here was not considered normal. We have on the scene here the Pharisees and the scribes. And these were the religious leaders, the, the teachers, the keepers of the law. Obviously, if you've been around church, we know these guys, right? They are very moral, very righteous, very pure. They live their lives to avoid anything considered sin or unclean. They live their lives according to the system of Jewish laws and um, the laws of the Old Testament. And so they're kind of coming in with their noses in the air, grumbling and murmuring at what Jesus is doing. It says, it says, they, they, they grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. I think it makes them mad. I think it confuses them. Like, what is he doing? Because Jesus was kind of known. He was a teacher. He was a rabbi. And they're like, this guy is nuts. What is he doing? And it makes them lose respect for Jesus. Like, how can this guy eat with sinners? Because they had created a hierarchy of value in their society. They were at the top and the sinners were at the bottom. As one pastor wrote, the Pharisees used boundary markers to exclude and dehumanize. Those who were Gentiles, meaning those who were not Jewish, they even called the Gentiles dogs, refusing to acknowledge their presence as people before God. But Jesus tore these boundary markers down. He replaced them with a radical welcome that still reverberates through the world today. Because the Pharisees wanted to keep the law. And being around sin, around sinners, would cause them to be considered unclean. Right? And they wouldn't be able to go to the temple without a process of purification, which took a lot of time. So when they look at what Jesus is doing, all they see is someone who is ignoring the Jewish law, who is becoming unclean by his proximity to those who were unclean. So Jesus is tearing this down. This is the way the Pharisees and the scribes viewed it, but what Jesus is doing is different. One author wrote this, Jesus dined with sinners, but he didn't sin with sinners. Jesus lived in the world, but he didn't live like the world. 
This is the mystery of Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is holy and pure. He is with those who are broken and sinful. So when we look at this scripture, we see the radical hospitality of Jesus modeled for us in a time and a place and a culture where it did not make any sense, maybe even more than today, right? It did not make sense for him to be spending time with these people if he was wanting to be known as a respected teacher, rabbi, Jewish leader. This is what Jesus did. This is what he modeled for us. And as I was preparing this, I stopped and thought, why why would we expect anything different from Jesus? Jesus, the Son of God, shows us what God is like. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Meaning, in Jesus, we see the glory of God. And if you read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, what do we see? We see a God that draws near to the brokenhearted, that draws near to the downcast, to the humble, to the poor in spirit. And so Jesus is breaking down these walls. He's doing things that people think he is crazy for, but what he's doing is modeling for us, his people, a new way of living. Third, Jesus rescues the lost. And so the rest of this scripture is Jesus' response in the form of a parable to these religious leaders. Like they're around and they're like, what is this guy doing? Why is he eating? And Jesus is like, let me tell you a story, right? And he tells a story. He said, which one of you, if you had a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, you would leave the 99 sheep and you would go and find the other one. And when you find it, you put it on your shoulders, you carry it back, you're rejoicing. You even like gather, you, you, maybe not a barbecue, I don't know. Uh, you gather people to say, hey, my, my, my sheep was gone, it's back, let's have a party, right? And he tells this story with, a parable is a story with a point, right? The point is in verse seven, and Jesus says, just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, what is Jesus doing here? Right? It doesn't mean like, um, you know, God is happier for this one than if 90, but he, he was making a point, he was saying, listen, You guys think that you're righteous. You think you've got it all together, but God's heart is for the broken. God's heart is for those who are poor in spirit, who are humble. That is what Jesus is doing. And so really, verse 7 is a scathing rebuke of these religious leaders. The way that they would have heard this was, they were like, we're the righteous ones, but you're telling us that God's more pleased with this broken, lost one? Like this was a scathing message to them. And so Jesus is getting at their hearts. He's getting at their pride. He's telling them, God is looking for humility. And heaven will be full of people who saw the depth of their sin, but also saw the depth of God's mercy and grace. He's telling them, heaven's not gonna be full of people who thought they had it all together and thought they were righteous. It is full of people who say, I've got nothing to prove. I've got nothing to earn but Christ has done everything for me. The heart of God is to seek out and rescue the lost, not to give the self-righteous a pat on the back. One New Testament scholar wrote this. He said, the entire ministry of Jesus is appropriately captured in the phrase, divine hospitality to the stranger and sinner. That Jesus' ministry was the rescuing love of God 
the rescuing love and welcome of God on display. So Jesus has come to rescue the broken and the lost. Radical hospitality puts the gospel on display. Now, what do we do with all this? How do we say, okay, we see what Jesus has done here. We see what he's done in this scripture, the way that he was acting and interacting with people. So how do we live like Jesus? How can we, as the people of Renaissance, be a people of radical hospitality, putting the gospel on display? There's three things that we're going to go through. The first one is this. Start with your heart. Hospitality, as I've already said, goes much deeper than just having someone over for dinner. It is living with a heart that welcomes others in and is interested in other people's lives. So it's like this idea of like we can broaden hospitality to say hospitality is not a thing that we do. It is a type of person that we can become, a hospitable person in any situation. So you could Yes, you can have people come into your home, or you could go to someone else's house, or you could go to a barbecue in the park, and you kind of, you know the phrase like, you bring the party, right? You kind of bring the hospitality with you. You bring this posture of welcoming in, of listening, of loving. But to do this, it starts with our hearts. It understands that hospitality is not just something that we do, but it is something that God does in us, and we become hospitable people. What happens when we do this? What happens when we become this way is our hearts become like Jesus. Because radical hospitality means that we give up our rights. And this is where this gets tricky. We give up our rights to our time, our homes, our stuff, our cars, our finances. And even deeper than that, following Jesus means we surrender to him. We give up our rights for his glory. And I am not able to do this on my own. You are not able to do this on your own. You're not able to live a life of hospitality in the way of Jesus on your own. Because on my own, I I guard and I protect myself. I, I make compartments. This is my home. This is church. This is these people. This like this is what we naturally do. And on my own, I show favoritism. Favoring one type of person over another or one group over another. And so to be people of hospitality, we have to start with our hearts. Are we surrendered to Jesus? Do we belong to him? Because a life of radical hospitality can only flow out of a heart surrendered to Jesus. It is too much for us to handle. It is too much for us to do and to accomplish otherwise. It's too difficult to be living in the way that Jesus is living here unless it is the work of Jesus in us. We, here's my point, (laughs) we start with our hearts. Why? Because we can't do it and we need Jesus. We need his work in us to make us hospitable people. So we start with our heart. And I think that means that you come before God and say, God, is my heart yours? Have I surrendered myself to you? 
I used an analogy with my kids maybe a few weeks ago. We were eating dinner, and then we were talking about something, and I said, you know, like, you know what a tackle box is? They're like, I do not know what a tackle box is, right? So um, I won't call you out, but maybe if you're sitting here going, I don't know what a tackle box is, then we can, okay, it's for fishing, right? Fishing tackle, and it's a box. It's sometimes normally like plastic, and it's got all these little small compartments, and you keep things in different places, right? We can do that. We can interact with God in that way. We can say, okay, God, here's this part of my heart, but not this part. And you can have this one, but not this one. And we have these little tackle box compartments when God is saying, surrender your life to me. That's what it means to follow Jesus And if we want to be people of radical hospitality, we must surrender, start with our heart. Secondly, how do we put this into practice? This point might seem quite simple, but I'll explain it. It's pray. Because we're thinking about radical hospitality. We're thinking about how do we share our lives with the people around us. I think it starts, one of the ways it starts is with prayer. Praying for your friends and your neighbors who don't know Jesus. And maybe you don't even know them yet. You might just say, I don't know who lives in that place over there, but God, I pray for this person. I don't know who lives upstairs, but I know they're really loud, but let's pray for this person, whatever it is, right? Begin to pray for them. And then as you get to know people, you're praying for them. Learn people's names. This is uh, probably sometimes, this is a really practical thing to just get to know someone's name. And maybe you've lived in your place for three or four years and you should know the person's name who lives across the street or across the hall. And it might mean that you might have to say, hey, I should know your name, but I forgot it. Can you tell me your name again, right? (laughs) They probably forgot yours too. Um, So, but learn people's names. Ask them, hey, what's your name? Get to know them. Be genuinely interested in them and how you can pray for them and tell them that you are praying for them. Think about it. How many people in this city have never had someone pray specifically for them? A lot. And what love does that communicate to say, I care about you enough, and maybe you don't believe what I believe, and maybe you think it's crazy, but how can I pray for you? Because I believe that God hears and answers prayer. And we begin to pray for these people. And we can display hospitality by humbly and boldly entering into the joys and sorrows of other people through prayer. And so make it practical. Keep a notebook. Keep a note on your phone with who you're praying for, what you're praying for. Set reminders. Put it on your calendar. Whatever works for you. But to say, you know what? If I want to be a person of radical hospitality, I want to begin to get to know people and pray for people and praying and asking God to open their hearts to him. And what happens? God hears our prayers. This is not a sermon on prayer, but we complicate prayer sometimes. Here's the, here's the simple thing of prayer. For those who are in Christ, God hears and answers our prayers because he hears and answers the prayers of Jesus. And when we pray in accordance with the will of God, God hears our prayers. And people, the people around us can then see the power of God on display. And when we pray, we grow in love for those that we pray for. We desire to serve them. We long for them to come to know Jesus, and we have boldness to share the gospel with them. One of the ways that we can live out radical hospitality is simply beginning to pray for the people around us, the people that we want to welcome in. Thirdly, how do we do this? How do we make this practical? Third point is this, just share your life. 
in order to live with radical hospitality, we share our lives with others. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, he's writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he's telling them, he's like, listen, let me tell you the way that I interacted with you. Here's what he says. He says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Think about that with your neighbors. Because if you say, hey, I just want to share the gospel with you, but I don't really care about you, well, there's a disconnect there, and people don't see Jesus. Or you can say, hey, I really care about you, but I'm not going to share the gospel with you. There's a disconnect because we believe that Jesus is the only way to God, and the most loving thing to do is say, here is how you can be in a relationship with God. But these two things work together. We want to share the gospel, but we want to share our lives. And to truly be able to say, why? Because you, my neighbor, my friend, you've become very dear to me. This is radical hospitality. This is bringing the posture of hospitality into any situation. Because you and I can share our lives with the people around us, welcoming them in no matter who they are. I think we could maybe divide, not only divide, it's not a good word, but we could, we could split hospitality into two, two categories, right? Hospitality towards the church, which is vital and it's all over the New Testament where Paul and Peter and others say, you are a people of God, welcome each other in. I think it's important and it's vital and it's appropriate hospitality towards the church. But there's also a hospitality towards those who don't know Jesus, towards those who are outside the church. Now, many times these things can overlap and we need both of them and we need to grow in both of them. But I would say the point of our sermon this morning is that hospitality within the church should be a given, right? If we in this church are spending time with each other, inviting people in, I don't think that's like, oh, good for you. Like, no, it's, we love each other. Why would we not do that? Like, the hospitality within the church is a given. And yet, the second thing is that hospitality on mission means that we are developing relationships with the people around us. Getting to know people, loving people, those who don't know Jesus. That's kind of the point of what this is about. How do we live on mission? Radical hospitality is one of the ways that we do that. Something that we've talked about here often is this concept of sharing a meal with someone. Just taking that step to say, you know what? I'm going to get to know my neighbor or friend. I'm going to begin praying for them, and I'm going to look for an opportunity to share a meal with them. It could be in your home. It could be at a park. It could be at a cafe, whatever it is. But think about this, church. Imagine if all of us put this into practice. Maybe weekly, maybe more, maybe less, whatever it is, we're all different. We all have different seasons of life and life scenarios. But imagine what God could do if we as the church spent time, just like Jesus did, with those who are far from God. We simply love them, listen to them, build friendships, and then pray like crazy for God to open their hearts to him. Church, I want to, as your pastor, I want to call us to this. To start small, but start somewhere. 
to share a meal with those around you. Maybe it is literally those who live in your building or across, your, across the street. Maybe it's someone that you sit next to in school. Maybe it's someone that you see at work, whatever it is. But to start small and to look for a chance to say, hey, you wanna come for dinner? Hey, you wanna go eat lunch? You, whatever it is. And you don't have to do it alone. Right? You can get together with a few others from the church and some friends or neighbors for a barbecue in the park or dinner out or a home-cooked meal or whatever it is, but to say, how can we share a meal with people? Now, there's nothing like magical about a meal, and yet there is something special about just taking the time to sit down and be with people. Because so I don't believe that this is just a nice thing to do. Like, I'm not saying, hey, Renaissance, let's be nice to people around us. Okay, we should, right? <laughs> it's not just a nice thing to do. I believe that this is one of the biggest ways that we as a church can be part of leading people to Jesus and living a life on mission. And what happens when we do this? What happens when we live with radical hospitality? It puts the gospel on display. There's a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It's a good book. There's a quote from it that says, radical hospitality as a Christian is this, daily sharing your life in a way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. It brings glory to God, serves others, and lives out the gospel in word and deed. The purpose of radical hospitality is to build, focus, deepen, and strengthen the family of God, pointing others to the Bible-believing local church and to bring earthly and spiritual good to everyone we know. I think that's a good description of what radical hospitality looks like. And when we live this way, those around us will see and hear and experience the gospel when we live with radical hospitality. Because radical hospitality puts the gospel on display. As we wrap up, hospitality is not just entertaining people in your home as we've said, it's not just cooking a meal for someone. Those are good things. It might be part of it. But it's deeper than that. Hospitality is a heart issue. It's a gospel issue. Because at the heart of the gospel is the truth that God has been hospitable to us. He has welcomed us in. This is the reason that God has called us to this kind of love because it's the way that he has loved us. Because we, if you are a Christian in this room, if you have put your faith in Jesus, we were the strangers. We were the outsiders. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're, you've got questions, you're looking at this, you're exploring this, the Bible describes you as being an outsider. And I don't mean that in a harsh way, but you are living in separation from God. You are outside of a relationship with God. But that's our story, that we were the strangers. We were the outsiders. We read this parable, and in the parable that Jesus told, who are we? We are the lost sheep. We're that sheep that wandered off and got themselves into trouble and danger. We are the lost sheep who have been searched out and found by Jesus. We are the sinners and the tax collectors that Jesus in his grace has chosen to spend time with, welcoming us in. But then, the amazing grace of God 
is that we, having been rescued by Jesus, get to join with him in being a part of seeing others rescued to come to know Jesus. And so, in the beginning, we're the lost sheep. And then by the grace of God, we become the ones who can go and search for the lost sheep. Hospitality requires dying to self, just to lay down our lives, to be joined with Christ. As I've already said, that kind of life, radical hospitality, is too much for us. We cannot accomplish it apart from the radical work of Christ in us. The truth and the message of the gospel is this, is that Christ has accomplished all that we need. We have to recognize that we are a people who are born in sin. We are separated from God. We are the outsiders. We are sinful, broken, rebellious people who have turned our backs to God and said, I'll do it my own way. And it means that there is no way for us to come to God. We can't just be better. We can't just clean ourselves up. There is no way for us to come to God because of our sin, but God in his grace has sent his son Jesus, and Jesus lived a sinless and perfect life. And when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he accomplished all that we could not. And so the gospel is this, is that he can do the work in our hearts that we are unable to do. And this morning, if you are here and you are not a follower of Jesus, and maybe you're completely skeptical or maybe you are hungry and curious and saying, I want to know this truth, know this this morning, there is a welcome from Jesus to you. He is saying, come to me, lay your life down and I will cleanse your sins. I can make you right with God. I can remove from you the judgment that right now you deserve because of your sin and I have put that judgment upon Jesus. And when you put your life under Jesus, that sin is forgiven. We are welcomed in. And it is not something that we say, okay, yeah, okay, this week I'm gonna be really good, I'm gonna work hard. No, we, we simply say, okay, I see it now. I cannot save myself, I can't fix myself, but Jesus, I put my faith in you. And I surrender everything that I thought I had control of, all the stuff that I thought was mine, I surrender. I turn away from my sin, I repent, and I put my faith in Jesus. This morning, if you are a Christian, my encouragement to us this morning is to remember the hospitality that Jesus has shown to you. To think back and remember, I was the outsider. I was broken in my sin and Jesus has welcomed me in. Because that prompts us to live a life on mission. By living a life of radical hospitality in the way that Jesus has shown hospitality and grace to us. Maybe this morning you would like to, maybe you need to pray with someone. Maybe, maybe you have a friend or a neighbor that you just, after church this morning, you just need to grab somebody else and say, hey, will you pray for my neighbor with me? Maybe you have spiritual questions. Maybe you want to put your faith in Jesus. We would love to talk with you. We would love to, um, to walk through those things with you. But what we want to see and what we want to be is a people of radical hospitality because 
that radical hospitality puts the gospel on display. Let's pray together, and we're going to continue in worship and um, singing of the grace of God towards us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.